0: Welcome to ArtsCast Nebraska, a podcast about the creative activities and research of the faculty and alumni of the Hickson Lead College of Fine and Performing Arts at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I'm Chris Marks, Associate Dean of the College, and it's my privilege to share with you these conversations about the fascinating work that our faculty and alumni do in the fine and performing arts. In this episode, I speak with Dana Fritz, Professor of Photography in the School of Art, Art History and Design. She discusses the fact that her work often focuses on how the natural world collides with artificially created environments. But first, I asked her about her early life and art study.
1: I grew up in Prairie Village, Kansas, which is a suburb of Kansas City. And art was not a major factor in my life. (laughs) My parents are not artists. And we occasionally would go to the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art, but only if there was a some kind of big show that sort of made it into the, you know, onto the news or something. <laughs> so um, I think I, I certainly enjoyed art classes as a kid, and I must have had some kind of aptitude or obvious interest in that. And so by the time I was in high school, I was taking Saturday classes at Kansas City Art Institute. But I do remember that my mom always had cameras around because she was, she documented our lives very completely. So there was obviously the first day of school pictures every year, but also every birthday, every holiday, every, I mean, there, she chronicled us through photography in a way that I actually became totally annoyed with as a child. But now it results in, I don't know, an entire bookshelf full of albums,
0: but at some point then, you you must have picked up one of those cameras and started taking pictures oh, yourself. Sure. I mean, do you... I so had a
1: photography class in junior high. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was amazing that I went to a class that actually, a school that had a dark room. I'm sure that I found an interest, and I still do, in this idea of documenting or preserving something, you know, an event or a view even though that's no no kind of objective idea, um, it's subjective. But that kind of documenting or preserving, I also was really interested in composing. So framing a picture and uh, deciding what to include and what not to include, I always responded to light. So all these things are very you know typical of photography.
0: I asked Dana how she ended up at Nebraska. And she described how she looked at many job opportunities as she was graduating from school.
1: The most interesting job description was the one at Nebraska. And it was for a program called Visual Literacy. And it wasn't like any of the other job descriptions. And so I felt like it was a good match for me. It was also the most interesting one out there. I certainly applied for plenty. And it happened to be the one that I was offered. So...
0: So you, um, you started out teaching foundations here. Uh, you've obviously moved into a more, um, depth in photography teaching here and away from teaching foundations. What, what's been one of your favorite things to teach while you've been here at Nebraska?
1: Well, teaching in visual literacy was probably equally fun and hard work. <laughs> and for many years, I taught perceptual drawing. And that was not something I ever imagined I would be teaching. (laughs) Nobody would have believed that. But somehow it ended up that I would be the one to teach the perceptual drawing unit, or at least a lot of sections of it. And I actually loved teaching that because you can see students learn so quickly.
0: So what is what is perceptual drawing to to those of us outside of the the arts foundation world?
1: Sure, drawing from observation. Okay. So not drawing from imagination, but from observation. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of more measurable and um a little bit more straightforward. And a lot of people have trepidation about drawing. They think maybe they can't do it or they're just they're never going to be able to do it. And of course I had students from a lot of different majors in there with a lot of anxiety about drawing. And I just said, look, anyone can learn to draw passably." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've only got eight weeks here with you. We had these short classes. And, and I would teach them the basics. And our classes were so intense. They were three times a week. And you could see the students learning. And they could see themselves learning just that quickly. So that was satisfying. Tons of work really satisfying mm-hmm. as teaching. But I have to say, um, taking over the photography area has been even more satisfying and rewarding because it's actually what I practice.
0: Are there particular skills or concepts that you hope that your students will gain from working with you?
1: Oh, Yes, of course. So many. <laughs> I'm really interested actually in the concepts a little bit more than the skills. Although when I teach the darkroom class, students would not believe that because it is a skill-based class. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of technical stuff that they need to learn in order to do things that are safe and uh, will last. Um, but I'm really interested in ideas. I'm absolutely in this for the ideas. And I think the the images enable us to think about the ideas and talk about the ideas. So, I mean, just ideas as artists. I want, I want to teach students to be curious. I hope they're already curious, but I hope I cultivate that and to do research and to think critically. Those are all extremely important things.
0: So do you find that the, the concepts come out of the photographs that people take or do people take photographs to get towards a particular concept is there a
1: i think it can be both certainly i mean some people have an idea i want to pursue this or like in my case i have questions about all kinds of things in the world and those lead me to investigate those ideas through photography that's how i work and some of my students work that way, and some of them don't, and some of them work more intuitively. So they make work intuitively, and then they look at it and see what questions come up, and that takes them somewhere.
0: Well, you you said you have questions you, you like to ask, uh, so that's a great segue into talking a little bit about your work. And I, I know that in some of your statements you've talked about Sort of tension between natural and artificial and the tension between real and ideal, which seems to come up in a lot of your, your projects. So, so what are some of those questions that you're, you're seeking answers to through your art?
1: Yeah, I am very interested in these questions of, um, natural and artificial and real and ideal. And not just the question like, what is real or what is ideal, but more like, how did we come up with our ideal? Like, where did that come from? How did we shape the ideal? And then how do we know what's real <laughs> also a little bit? Um, but mainly kind of like, they're very cultural questions. Like, how do we, How? like, what is nature? How do we know it when we see it? Um, how should we behave in relation to the natural world? How should we understand our own behavior? Possibly change it. But more importantly, how should we, how can we understand it better? Like, where did all these ideas come from? Where did these laws come from? Where did these ideals come from? These concepts?
0: So you said, where do these laws come from? I'll, I'll just use that as maybe an, can, can you give an example of, of, of a law that you've explored in some of your artwork?
1: Um, well, sort of. Like I'm thinking about env- environmental law mm-hmm. and I'm thinking about things like the Wilderness Act or the Endangered Species Act or like, where did the idea of wilderness come from? It's actually e- extremely complex and it has to do with like, um, American history and even before that, and so this, even the word wilderness, you know, that's a word that we really dissect in my environment landscape photography seminar.
0: Dana's photography has been heavily influenced by her many visits to Japan, where she has often led students on study trips. I asked her how this came about. So when did you first visit Japan?
1: 20 years ago as a Rotary Foundation group study exchange member. So I applied and was accepted to be there in the spring for about a month, maybe five weeks. And I was basically a cultural ambassador from Nebraska. (laughs) and we went around to different Rotary clubs and did our little show, where we uh, carried a slide projector and actually did <laughs> slides of Nebraska. And I talked about the university. That was my job. And I did it in some pretty terrible Japanese.
0: Did you learn Japanese in order to go on this trip then?
1: Uh, well, that's sort of impossible, but I did study Japanese. Okay, Yeah, certainly. I had a tutor. But I had a real appetite for studying it. And I, although I've never studied it formally, I have learned a lot of Japanese words and expressions and other things that make travel there uh extremely interesting and and I think better because I can communicate some.
0: And you've been back several times since including leading some student study abroad uh, trips yeah. there as well. So how how do you think that your interaction with that culture has changed your or influenced the photography that you've done?
1: How has it influenced my photography? I think um, quite a lot, especially for one um series that I did called Views Removed, where I was really interested again in this um creating these imagined landscapes, these ideal spaces that were definitely inspired from Chinese and Japanese ink paintings and other Japanese art. Um, but I think it's also spending time in Japan and studying Japanese culture and language to the extent that I have as sort of like part of my work, but not my main work. You know, like I'm not a, I don't have language fluency. I can barely read. I mean, I mean, I, don't, I basically can't read Japanese. Um, but it has really changed the, like I said, my life to give me s- some perspective that I don't think I could have had had I never been there.
0: So I find the Views Removed that you've said was based on Japanese ink painting, I find that um, particularly interesting.
1: Yeah, so I guess I can explain that Views Removed is a series of um, gelatin silver prints. So I started with film, and I made these in the darkroom. And each one of them, each final photograph, is actually a combination of more than one negative and it, the resulting print is something that has never been seen, could not be seen. It is an, it's an impossible view. It's an invented view. And I thought that that was not so different from the idea of creating a garden from, you know, an empty lot or from, from a field that's cleared and replanted.
0: So it seems like the nature in your artwork and, and the artwork itself is capturing things f- from other disciplines as well that you, you kind of merge with science and ecology and culture and, and you mentioned law and policy. Talk yeah. about that a little bit. Like how, what's the importance of, of art blending with or commenting on some of those other disciplines?
1: Well, I think, um, most art is not separate from other disciplines anyway. You don't have to ask too many questions to realize that you're suddenly in another discipline, right? Uh, so while artists are working, I would say, you know, squarely within their discipline of art, most of us probably read or research or listen to or some, some, do something that influences our work that's not considered art. So, um, yeah, I'm really interested in environmental history, actually. So those are kind of two things, two disciplines coming together to a new discipline, environmental history. And um, again, it just it helps me answer and then formulate new questions about, like, why is it like this? How did it get this way?
0: And what do you hope that viewers of your artwork will, will take away from that? Are they should they be asking those same questions or, or um trying to change things or what what do you want people to get from it?
1: Well that's a good question. I think um I don't I don't mean for my art to be um necessarily instructive. I hope it um I hope it generates questions and then people do something with those questions. But I don't have a particular goal in mind. Um, Yeah. So for example, in the current project, I mean, the Nebraska National Forest at Halsey was planted by hand. And so that's kind of amazing all by itself to think about in the early 20th century, like what kind of technology did they have to do that? Well, it's pretty basic. (laughs) It was a lot of work, like make no mistake. But even, I mean, I go back farther to that to ask like, why why would you plant a forest by hand out there in the sandhills? And so those things are, are really interesting to me. And I think that they can help us understand where we are now. Um, I mean, just as a interesting aside to that, you know, all those trees were planted because they wanted to change the climate. And they were not thinking about carbon sequestration. They were thinking about it's too dry here and too windy. So they wanted to locally change the climate. And now we think about tree planting as a, as a major, um, way to do carbon sequestration, which will mitigate climate change. And so I'm thinking about like the history of that place. It sort of has like encompasses a lot of different thinking about climate change and about what is an ideal landscape? Like why, why, why is a landscape without trees considered unproductive or disorderly? Those things really interest me, and I hope that we can bring those questions to the 21st century and, and ask ourselves again, like, why is a, like, what is the inherent value of any kind of ecosystem?
0: And the, the photos that I've seen from that, that you've, you've put on your website, um, even if you didn't know anything about where they were taken and why they were taken they're they're very um to me they come across as very sensuous some of these landscapes and the rolling hills and some of the water and and just that kind of aesthetic reaction is is, is really wonderful too is um
1: yeah well i think as an artist i want to make things that i feel are good compositions and respond to light and all of that is sort of like a minimum standard mm-hmm. But then I want to use those tools, those visual tools, that visual language to get to an idea. And so I was really interested out there in the different scales of the waves. So if you look at the bottom, uh, the riverbed of the Dismal River, there are these waves because like, it's uh, basically all sand out there. And the water creates these really beautiful wave patterns. But if you go and stand on top of the fire tower and you look out at the, the sand hills beyond the forest, you see that they have the same wave pattern. Mm -hmm. They're just bigger. They're also Mm -hmm. sand being moved this time, not by water, but by wind. And that was fascinating to me. I mean, visually it had a big impact, but it's also interesting as an idea. So there are waves out there and there are waves, there are waves in my pictures. And there are rows, which I, I think sort of speak to the idea of a mechanical kind of like planting, uh, cultivation as opposed to just, um, naturally occurring plants. So the rate, the waves and the rows are really important visual language aspects of the work, I think.
0: And then you also, um, in terms of scale, I mean, you say you have these rows of trees, but you're also focusing in on details of trees as well in some of, um, some of the photos, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I'm interested in the forces that shaped that landscape. So, um, one of them is wind. So we see the effects of wind and waves and things like that. Um, Another is the water. And so I wanted to show the rivers and also underneath it is the Ogallala aquifer and all those rivers are spring fed. So it's this, what seems like a unlimited source of water. We know now it's limited and it's diminishing, but it is um, a large source of fresh water that made the forest even possible there. So, so that place is also full of windmills, but, um, yeah. And then there are some other forces that shaped The forest, including fire, which was suppressed for decades, but is a normal part of that shaping that landscape. So there's a lot of areas where you can see burn and some of those burns were um, prescribed burns and others were wildfires. Um, so yeah, there's details and then there's vistas. There's a lot of different points of view.
0: If you would like to see photos from Dana Fritz's latest project centered around the hand-planted forest in Halsey, Nebraska, along with other projects she discussed in this episode, visit her website at DanaFritz.com. You've been listening to ArtsCast Nebraska, a podcast production of the Hickson Lead College of Fine and Performing Arts at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. This episode was recorded and edited by me, Chris Marks with technical assistance from Jeff O'Brien at the Johnny Carson Center for Emerging Media Arts. Special thanks to Kathy Anderson and Ella Durham. For more information about the college, please visit arts.unl.edu. Thank you for listening, and remember to support the arts.